Well, very good. Let's, let's head into the rest of our teaching uh, time this morning. Uh, just a heads up, we will not be doing Q&A this morning, which we often do. If you're a visitor here, we often do Q&A after the message. We won't be doing that today because we had the wonderful gift of hearing from our kids and having them minister to us. Um, why don't we pray before we go forward? As we pray, we're going to use, this is the prayer we use uh, in Discovery Bible Experience. And so it's taken from God's word, a prayer to him. Thank you, Lord, for your presence and for the truth, guidance, and power of your word. We ask you to speak to us, reveal more of yourself, and give us insight and understanding. Open our eyes to see the wonderful truths in your instructions. Turn our eyes from worthless things and give us life through your word. You made us, you created us, now give us the sense to follow your commands. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So, it's Christmas Eve, we've been talking about gifts. How many of you are spending large amounts of money this Christmas season to give gifts to people you hate? Come on now, show of hands. Yeah, one person. <laughs> well, yeah, uh, so, so, uh, so why is that? How come there's not a lot of hate-giving uh, participation in this Christmas? Isn't it because when we give, we want to give accordingly to those we love? As some of you are probably going to give gifts to people you just kind of like. I mean, yes, the scriptures call us to love everyone, but when you think about it, you're like, okay, that person in the office, I just kind of like them, so I'm going to give, you know, this particular gift. But others of us, we, uh, we have certain people in our lives that we are crazy in love with, and we want to give them something really special. And even if you can't, let's, let's say this is a tough Christmas financially, isn't the desire of our hearts is for those we love, we just want to give and we want to give and we want to give. That's what love does, doesn't it? Love gives. If you take all the love out of the world, all the gift giving is going to end. Isn't that true? The Bible tells us that God loves us. And the reason... God gives is because God loves us. And we've been talking about uh, the gifts that God gives us. Now, sometimes we get gifts and we're like, this is so amazing, I don't even know how to talk about it. And the Apostle Paul, this is the way he describes the indescribable gift. He says, thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. What do you do when something is indescribable? You try to describe it. <laughs> don't you? I mean, if something's like, I don't know how to talk about it. It's like this, it's like this, it's like this. And that's what we find when we go through the scriptures, actually. We find, as, as the scriptures talk about Jesus, different writers just, they say, well, it's, Jesus is like this, the Messiah is like this, etc., etc., etc. And so, the first Sunday of our series, we talked about one way of talking about the gift of Jesus is the scriptures say Jesus is Emmanuel, which means God with us. Yeah, the, the, the text says that God, Jesus is God's sign, that God is with us, and then the implication of that, of course, is that God is 
for us. Yeah. Now, last week we talked about how some gifts, they're... um, we don't fully understand them at first. We get them and we're kind of like, oh, wow, hey, that's great. Uh, what is this? Right? You've all gotten those gifts. And we talked about specifically how Jesus is our high priest. And sometimes we're like, oh, okay, well, what does that even mean? Some gifts, you, you don't really know how important they are until you have to depend upon them. And we talked about how Jesus is the high priest that God has sent to offer the perfect sacrifice himself and then to forever intercede for us in the heavenly realms. It's quite a gift. Today, what I want to talk about in God's indescribable gift is I want to talk about Jesus, Jesus, our prophet. Now, hang with me for a second because, uh, and if you you like kind of deep thinking here, what I'm talking about is what what is sometimes called the offices of Christ, okay? So, uh, Jesus is our priest, he's our prophet, and he's our king, three offices of Christ. So, today we're going to wrestle with what does it mean that God has given us a gift and this gift is a prophet? Well, what's a prophet? Well, a prophet is someone who speaks God's word to God's people. And if you're a note taker, you can go ahead and take your worship folder out and follow along. It might help you hang with what I'm saying here. Yeah, a prophet is one who speaks God's word to God's people. And isn't it true? I mean, think about it for a second. If there is a God and this, is, and this God is love, don't we want this God to speak? I mean, don't you want to hear from God? If God loves you, wouldn't you really love to hear God speak to you? I mean, having a force is helpful, you know, if you're Luke Skywalker. But if you're normal people and and you need words to understand certain things, it would be very helpful if God would provide some words, wouldn't it? So throughout the scriptures, what God has done is he would send prophets to speak his word to his people. And to be honest with you, I mean, if you go through the scriptures, one of the things you learn is that the the prophets were just kind of maddening people. They were just kind of a bummer often. You know, the prophets would come and be like, what do we do with this person? And and why is that? Well, G.K. Chesterton, famous uh, uh, writer and Christian, he he used to say, the only people who see the world rightly are those who stand on their heads. Isn't that true? I mean, think about it. Our world, it is a bit upside down, isn't it? I mean, all you have to do is is, is turn on the TV and watch the news, and suddenly you're like, you're thinking, wow, this, this, is just, this is just not right. Something's crooked. Something's askew here. And prophets are the ones that God sends to speak into the upside-downness of stuff. And the result of that is people get upset with the prophets because people don't like to be told, hey, guess what? Your thinking is way upside-down. And so what happens is prophets were were often uh, people who ended up with their head on a chopping block or hanging on a cross. To understand the gift of Jesus as prophet, I'd like to point to this scene. I'm just going to paint the picture for you. The picture is often referred to as the transfiguration, 
Okay, so in the, there are four uh, tellings of the life and ministry of Jesus. They're called Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. In the first three, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, there's this story, and uh, it's called the Transfiguration. And the reason it's called the Transfiguration is uh, Jesus takes three disciples, Peter, James, and John, up on a mountain with him, and the scriptures say in the Gospels area, it says it says that Jesus is suddenly transfigured. So he's up on this mountain with the three disciples, and he's, he's transfigured. The text says, his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became as white as the light. And suddenly, appearing with Jesus, so that the disciples can witness, is Moses and Elijah. Well, that's kind of interesting, because FYI, Moses had been dead for centuries, so had Elijah, and suddenly the, uh, Peter, James, and John are seeing Moses and Elijah, who were like, what, it, wasn't he dead? Weren't they dead? <laughs> and, and now, why Moses and Elijah? Well, uh, ancient Israel, when they would think about God's word, they would often refer to God's word as the law and the prophets. So Moses, the writer of the law, Elijah, kind of an archetype, for the prophets. Now, what do we know about Elijah? <clears throat> well, uh, uh, Elijah was, uh, we, we learn about him from 1 Kings. He assumedly didn't write any of the, the text of the scriptures, but we hear about him, and we hear about him in 1 Kings. And what I'd like to do as we talk about Jesus as prophet, we're going to kind of ramp up to this, and what I'd like to do is I'd like to tell you a story uh, about Elijah. It's a great story. It's, it's from 1 Kings 18. If you like to, uh, you can turn to 1 Kings 18 and kind of follow along uh, on your phone or in a Bible in your uh, seat in front of you. Um, there was a king. The king was Ahab. Now, this is not the, the Ahab uh, searching for Moby Dick. Um, this is King Ahab, and, and he was one of the worst kings Israel had ever had. Okay, and the Bible says that Ahab did more evil in the eyes of the Lord than any of those before him. Why was he so bad? Well, uh, Ahab married a foreign wife, outside, someone who was not a worshiper of God. And, and, and then Ahab, as a follower of God, began to actually worship the gods, specifically the god Baal, of, of his wife, Jezebel. And so, uh, essentially, uh, King Ahab pointed the hearts of the people, and, and remember, the, the, uh, the hearts of the people go typically where the leader tends to go. So whoever, whoever your main leader is, that's where your heart's going. That's just the way it is with people. Uh, King Ahab was pointing the hearts of people away from the true God, to these false foreign gods. And why is that a problem? Well, it's a problem because think about it. Biblically speaking, the trouble in the world really comes from one place. You can take this to the bank. The trouble in the world comes from bad worship. Yeah, bad worship just kind of screws up everything. When human beings begin to place worth and worship 
upon something uh, that can't support that worth and worship, life begins to disintegrate. That's what we see. That's the story the Scriptures tell. When we begin to worship things that aren't God, then our life begins to separate. It begins to, you know, kind of fall apart, and it disintegrates. It begins to go askew. It, give, it gets crooked. It gets upside down. St. Augustine famously wrote, Thou hast made us for thyself, O Lord, and our heart is restless until it finds its rest in thee. What, what's he saying? He's saying that our hearts get all disoriented, askew, anxious, when they seek to find rest in any place that is not the source of rest and peace. So God sends the prophet Elijah to King Ahab, and he does so to set a right, to reorient, to integrate the hearts of the people the way they should be. This is what the prophetic office does. Elijah presents himself to King Ahab, and he challenges King Ahab and his 450-plus prophets of the god Baal. And here's what Elijah says. You just have to kind of imagine the scene here. Elijah says to King Ahab, he says, Now summon, summon the people all over Israel to meet me on Mount Carmel and bring the 450 prophets of Baal. And he says, bring the 400 prophets of Asherah who eat at Jezebel's table. So Elijah then goes to the people as the prophet of God, and he says, how long will you waver between two opinions? This is what prophets do. Listen, if the Lord is God, then follow him. If Baal is God, then follow him. You can't kind of stay stuck in the middle. You get squished like a grape. That's not what he, that's not, that's not in the Bible, the great part. Um, and then, uh, it's fascinating, Elijah essentially challenges uh, the gods, the god Baal and, and the prophets to a duel. He says, get two bulls for us. Let Baal's prophet choose one for themselves, let them cut it into pieces and put it on the wood, but don't set fire to it. So get a, get a bull, put it on an altar, chop it all up, and, but don't set fire to it like you would a typical sacrifice. And he says, I'm going to do the same thing. I'm going to get a bull, I'm going to put it on an altar, I'm going to chop it all up, but I'm not going to set fire to it. And then he says, then you call on the name of your God, and I will call on the name of the Lord, the God who answers by fire, he is God. Ah. Great story, right. So, what happens? The prophets of Baal, they call on their God. It's a great, it's a great uh, uh, scene here. The, the, the scriptures say they call on Baal from morning until noon. So this is 450 prophets calling on their God over and over and over again. But the text says there was no response. Even they're shouting, even though they're shouting, Baal, answer us. There was no response. No one answered. And they danced around the altar they had made. What a sight. 450 prophets dancing around this dead bull, carcass, blood everywhere. Baal, answer us. 
And there's a little bit of humor here. Uh, 450 prophets dancing. Elijah essentially does some trash talking. It's beautiful. This is right out of the Bible. He says, shout louder. Surely he is a God. Perhaps he is deep in thought or busy or traveling. I love this. Maybe he is sleeping and must be awakened. You know, it's kind of like, yes, shout louder. Perhaps your God is taking a nap. So what do they do? They shift it into another gear. They crank it up a notch. The text says, so they shouted louder and slashed themselves with swords and spears, as was their custom, until their blood flowed. But there was no response. No one answered. No one paid attention. So what's Elijah do? 450 dancers spilling their blood, shouting to, shouting to their God, here's one prophet by his altar. And he does what prophets do. He prays. He says, Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and, and Israel, let it be known today that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and have done all things at your command Answer me, Lord, answer me so these people will know that you are Lord, our God, and that you are turning their hearts back again. Again, reorienting. And what happens? Fire. Then the fire of the Lord fell and burned up the sacrifice, the wood, the stones, and the soil, and licked up the water in the trench. When all the people saw this, they fell prostrate and cried, The Lord, He is God. The Lord, he is God. Hmm. Why do we need prophets? Because bad worship compels us to do crazy stuff. It disintegrates our life. Right worship brings integration. It reorients us. It reminds us that we are called to shalom to wholeness, to harmony, to right relationship. Now, with that story fresh in your mind, I'd like you to think about the altars we all dance around. St. Thomas Aquinas was one of the most important Christian thinkers in the history of the whole church, and he believed that there are four fundamental altars we dance around. Let's look at them. The first is the altar of wealth. Yeah, and now the prophets of wealth, aren't they everywhere this time of year? Yeah, they're just everywhere. Uh, if you have a smartphone right now, and most of us do, uh, in your possession right now, the prophets are, of wealth are literally dialed into where you are. <laughs> and they are sending prophetic messages to you that your self-worth is intimately tied to how much you have. So what do we do? We dance around that altar. I mean, think about it. The Mall of America, <laughs> it's literally built so you can get all your steps in, <laughs> dance around it. I have nothing against the Mall of America. I'm going to go to the Mall of America probably this Christmas at some point. But that, you see my point. We orient our lives around this altar of wealth. And what happens when the, 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 the gods of wealth don't provide? What do we do? Well, we dance harder. And what do we do? If you go through history, you can see this over and over again. When the prophets of wealth 
the gods of wealth don't provide, we start cutting ourselves and others. We start spilling blood, hoping that somehow the gods of wealth will provide what we so long for. But it doesn't matter how hard we dance. They won't provide. Second altar we dance around is the altar of pleasure. Now, boy, we have a lot of faith in pleasure in our country, don't we? What's faith? Faith is believing in and depending upon. So when you, when you have faith in something, you believe in that something and you depend upon it. For example, a chair. I believe this chair can hold me. I then place my weight upon it. I depend upon it. I have faith in the chair. Everyone, every day, exercises some kind of faith, even if you're an atheist. What is... Uh, the prophets of pleasures, what do they do to compel us to put faith in pleasure? Well, they're so good. I mean, they're better than ever at what they do. They've actually made their way into almost each of our homes. Again, we are dialed in to the prophets, the altars of pleasure. It used to be the, the prophets of pleasure would have to work really hard to get into the front door of a home. But now you can go to your computer and you can click on any number of things that will lead you to some sort of worship service of pleasure. And while the pleasure, the gods of pleasure uh, look like they're going to provide at some point because we have found that as we put some faith in them, we do get a little bit of a buzz from the pleasure Pleasure doesn't last. And no matter how hard we dance around the altar of pleasure, they don't provide, and we end up short. We ended up addicted to crazy things, and often we end up spilling blood of ourselves or others as we dance. The third altar is the altar of power. Now, I don't know if you are a Tolkien fan, but uh, J.R.R. Tolkien, the writer of the Lord of the Rings trilogy, the writer of The Hobbit, he's done something magnificent. He's passed now. Um, But he did something magnificent in those books. They're worth at least seeing in the movies. Uh, The whole story revolves around one thing, a little ring, the ring of power. Everything in the story revolves around who has the ring, who's trying to get the ring. And there's this great image that I so love, uh, which is, it's a bit grotesque, but there, there was a hobbit, just a, a normal looking hobbit, little guy, fur on his feet, <laughs> uh, who, who uh, found the ring of power. And uh, his name was Smeagol. And over time, he became so worshipful of the ring of power, that he reoriented his whole life to push everything away from him so he could have the ring all to himself. And he became conformed to the likeness of that which he worshipped. He no longer looked like a hobbit anymore. He became this grotesque creature forever after this ring of power that he called his precious. Isn't it interesting? We will all be conformed to the likeness of that which we worship. All of us. Now, I'll get political for a second, just to wake you all up. 
Um, I'll, be, I'll be right in the middle here. Uh, what do we see in our politics these days? We see a grotesque dance around the ring of power. Yeah, it's just grotesque. Uh, why is it grotesque? Because people made in the image of God are worshiping and dancing and sacrificing their lives at the altar of power. They are being conformed to its image, becoming hideous creatures in my estimation. But power is a false god. It cannot provide. It doesn't matter how hard you dance, how loud you shout, or whose blood you spill. The last altar, the altar of honor. Now, the, the good news about the altar of honor is you don't need wealth, pleasure, or power to go to this particular worship service. All you need is uh, the lust of, look at me! <laughs> look at me! Come on! The prayers at this service, they start with, I am underappreciated. <laughs> Appreciate me, please. Pay me respect. Look at my distinctions. See all of my titles. If you do so, suddenly I'll have everything I most desire. And there's nothing wrong with being honorable, of course, until, of course, we build an altar to it. We start dancing around it believing it's somehow going to provide us something. And then we start spilling blood. Now hear me. None of these altars are necessarily, none of these, uh, these things are, are necessarily bad in themselves. But none of them have the ability to bear the weight of our worship. So when we place our worship upon them, they actually begin to crumble. So as we, as we place basically the weight of our, of our quest upon them, they just crumble. They disintegrate. They disintegrate. They, guess, they get us disoriented. Things begin to separate. And so what does God do knowing our hearts are bent toward false worship? He incarnates himself as the gift of the last prophet. Have you ever said, I just want to hear from God? Yeah, I just, if he would just speak to me. Well, guess what? <laughs> he has. Loud and clear. Read this with me. Let's do it out loud. In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways, but in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. What? A gift, an indescribable gift, but actually a gift with great, great clarity. The next verse after that verse you see there is, says, the sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being. You want to know what God is like? You want to know what he would say? He has spoken in his son. I painted you this picture earlier of the transfiguration, Moses, the law, Elijah, the prophet, but in between them, the sun, the radiance of God's glory, the exact representation of his being. And in the, in the transfiguration story, God speaks into this, and he says, 
This is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. Wow. Listen to him. He is God's word in the flesh. Every day it seems we stand at the bottom of a waterfall of endless words. I don't know if you're like me, but I get home sometimes and I'm like, I can't take any more words. (laughs) So many words everywhere. And the false prophets of wealth and pleasure and power and honor, they shout to us daily, come, join the dance, dance around our altar, sacrifice to our gods. But the, the din, into the din of the cacophony of their words of death comes the incarnate word, the living word, the word of life. John 1, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. God's word put on flesh to stand toe to toe with all the prophets and say, the Lord has spoken. Listen to me. It's a question. What prophets have a key to your heart? Whose words have authority in your life? And what altars are they asking you to dance around? This Christmas, God wants to give each of us an indescribable gift. If we were to describe that gift, how would we describe it? Well, we could say, the gift is God with us, God for us. The gift is a high priest who has offered the perfect sacrifice So we might be forever made right with God and that priest is forever interceding for us on our behalf. And this gift is the clarity of God's word. He has spoken. And next week we'll talk about how he is king. Let's pray. As we pray, I I, I would like you to hear one thing the Word said, Jesus. He says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. God's Word to us is he is knocking on each of our lives and so longs not to come in and destroy us, but to come in and have eternal fellowship with us, breaking bread, sharing a feast forever. If you're here this morning and you've never crossed the line of faith and said, you know what, enough. I want to believe in and depend upon Jesus. I want to put my faith in him. I'd like to lead you in a prayer. It's very simple. It's the way so many of us began that this most important relationship. You can just say it between you and God. I'll say a line. You can say it back. Lord Jesus, I admit I am a sinner and I need you to save me. 
I believe you lived, died, and rose again so I might be rescued. Fill me with your spirit so I'm never apart from you ever again. I commit to following you all the days of my life and into eternity. Amen. It's an amazing thing, this life with Jesus, because it is a life with a living God who loves you and simply says, join me. Let's continue to walk forever together in love. It's just the most beautiful thing. The reason we exist here at Faith Covenant Church is to share this good news. It's an indescribable gift. Couple things before we depart. One, if you have a prayer need of any sort, we'll have some people down front who would love to pray for you. Secondly, uh, we have two services on Christmas Eve at 4 o'clock and 7 o'clock. If you know someone who doesn't have a church home, would you invite them to come on Christmas Eve? Because I know they will be blessed. I know they will be edified. and They will hear the best news the world has ever heard. Would you please stand? Let's close. I have